You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. All right, Lord, uh, thank you for your goodness and your loving kindness, and thank you for your word, and just mostly thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're good and that you're kind, that you care about us, um, that our fa- your favor is upon us, and um, that you're our advocates, and that you've given us your Holy Spirit, the very power of God, um, dwells with us and in us, and pray, God, that this time would be a blessing. I pray that we would leave here feeling a greater sense of peace and hope in Christ, and um, pray that to you, God, that you would enable us to release our grip on our children more and more, and um, and just to trust you with them, and ask these prayers in Jesus' name, amen. Right, um, so this is um, this is another another installment of our class, The Bible and Parenting. Um, we were doing a biblical theology where we're going through the Bible and seeing we first spent three weeks looking at some of the three of the uh, primary texts, um, three of the primary texts that explicitly talk about parenting. And now what we're doing is we're going, we're, look, we're looking at different stories related to parents. And this thing is just like a menacing figure right next to me. <laughs> all right, fella, you go over there, all right? Personal boundaries here, okay? Personal space. Anyhow. Um, no, so, um, but yeah, we're going to go through and we're looking at different stories related to parenting. And so, um, today we're going to look at the story of, um, Abraham and Isaac. This is a challenging, but really, really good story, um, about, uh, how God calls Abraham to lay his son Isaac before the Lord as a sacrifice, like to be killed, a sacrifice. And so, um... Uh, and so with that being said, uh, it helps to go back just a minute. See you, Dedrick. Have a good day, my man. Um, it helps to go back just a bit and, and know a little bit about the story of, of how Isaac came to be. You know, when Abraham was old in age, God came to him and appeared to him. And you know, Abraham was a, was a pagan. And God comes to Abraham and offers him relationship. He says, you know, I'm going to be your God. We're going to have a personal relationship. Um, we are going to, um, we are going, I, I'm going to bless you with a land. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make you the father of many nations and through you, all nations will be blessed, right? Well, you know, Abraham is quite old and, uh, Sarah is definitely postmenopausal. She has made the turn as they say. So, so this is obviously a, um, she's, uh, uh, we were, uh, Anna Harris and I were talking about this and we jokingly said like, she is long past the point of hot flashes here. Um, but anyhow, so I just, I taught sex education yet again yesterday, 17th time. So talking about menopause and all that kind of stuff is, uh, yeah, really, uh, on top of mind right now. Anyhow, so with that being said, they, after that promise is made to Abraham, there's like an, uh, an elapsing of 20 years before Sarah is pregnant. So, I mean, it's not, in the Bible it reads like he makes the promise, and a few chapters later, here comes the baby. It's like, no, 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 they're like 20 years of time elapsed. And so there's a lot of waiting um, to see this promise. And so you think about if you know a person who, um, and this might be your story, that you really struggled to get pregnant. And it took a long, 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 long time. Um, and then, you know, finally either you adopted or you got pregnant and like just the absolute sense of joy that you had, how much you cherished that baby, what a gift you saw it was from the Lord. And so now here you have 
God coming to Abraham and saying, Abraham, uh, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. I mean, you know, like after all that, all that waiting, right? And so, um, and so we're going to look at, what we're going to look at here is how do we surrender our children's lives to the Lord? How do we surrender our children's lives to the Lord? That is um, a really, really hard thing to do. Um, and I am convinced that in terms of, um, in terms of being like a healthy parent, in terms of having sanity as a parent, um, that, that sur- completely surrendering our children to God is like the, in our best interest. Uh, so much of our bad parenting is like we have a mold that we want the child to fit into. And uh, Julie Sparkman, if any of you are familiar with her, she's a Christian counselor in town. She's a really fabulous, like, Christian thinker. She talks about the picture. We all have the picture of, like, you know, an expectation of what, what this child's going to look like, what their life is going to look like, how it's going to go. And, like, when the picture, the child's life is, does not fit the picture, we get really nervous or we get really afraid or we get really angry. Um, and so with that being said, like a lot of what we're talking about here in surrendering children to God is like, Hey God, I'm going to, I'm going to let you paint the picture. Uh, you know, I, I have, I have hopes and dreams and that's okay. And ultimately I want, I want you to be the one who paints the picture for my child. And so we're just going to go through Genesis 22 and, uh, we're going to go verse by verse and, and look at this story. All right. So first, so it says sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. All right, so this term tested, Hebrew word, uh, it has connotations of like to be trained, to be exercised. And so we can see that like God is doing something here in Abraham's life to sanctify him, which, you know, uh, there's nothing, no endeavor in life more sanctifying than being a parent. <laughs> there's nothing that will reveal your sin more than being a parent, which is really, you know, when God is really at work in our lives. And that's, that's when we need his grace and we, we see that we need him to transform our life and our heart. So verse two, then God said, take your son, your only son, key, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering, as one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. All right, so first off, when we see your only son. This is functioning on two levels. On one level, this is uh, emphasizing and bringing attention to the fact that, pardon me, that how precious Isaac is. You know, what a, what a precious gift he is to Abraham. And so, so how hard the thing is that God is asking him to do. And I mean, obviously, like, there are some really unique and special circumstances around Isaac's life. But I mean, it's not like your child is any less precious to you than Isaac was to Abraham, right? And so, um, so we can see that. Another level at which this is functioning, who, someone from my Monday group, what's that fancy word that starts with a T? Tithe. Speaks, talks about uh, something that happens in the Old Testament that's pointing to Christ. T-Y-P. Typology! You got it. There you go. Typology, yeah. So typology is when there is something in the Old Testament that is concretely pointing to uh, something that Jesus will fulfill at a greater level in the New Testament. And so we can see here when it says, take your son, your only son whom you love, 
Isaac and go to the land and, 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 and offer him as a burnt, burnt offering, um, this is pointing to what God will do. Because, you know, as in John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so, so you can see here uh, God giving his, his only son um, as a sacrifice for us. All right, so verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took, him, um, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I go, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. All right, so first off, think about that night's sleep. So I'm going to bed tonight, you know, and tomorrow morning, I'm going to be taking my son, presumably, to sacrifice my child. And so, um, boy, talk about a bad night's sleep. And man, if there, is there anything in life that can, <laughs> can challenge your sleep like the welfare of your children? Um, and so he goes forward, and I think it's key to notice that he says to the people, we will worship God there. Um, and so, you know, Abraham's intent here is to worship the Lord and to honor God with his life and with his parenting. And so, um, so that's his, that's kind of his highest aim. Like his highest aim is to glorify and honor the Lord to the point that he is like, you know, putting, um, that he is, you know, completely, he's going to, he, he is expecting to offer his, uh, child's life as a sacrifice to the Lord. Um, and so, you know, a, a good definition to think of like worship is to ascribe worth to something, ascribe great, great worth and value to something. And so that's, that's, um, that's exactly what uh, Abraham is doing here. And, and so with that being said, like this mentality of like surrendering your children to God, um, and we're going to, you know, continue to get into that more and more. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, doesn't really function or work so well if the primary thing in your own life is not to honor and worship the Lord above all things. Like if God is kind of secondary or tertiary, then this idea of surrendering your child to God is not really gonna, it's not really gonna work so much. But if honoring, if your heart is set on, um, is set on serving and loving Jesus and honoring and glorifying him, then this, is, this will kind of more organically happen that that'll be your mentality with your children. And so, um, and so going on to verse 6, it says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Um, okay, so now, obviously something we need to tell you, and take a pause for the cause, and talk about the problems, like the moral, ethical problems of God telling telling one of his followers to sacrifice his child uh, because, you know, that, that, that they're in, in this uh, in ancient Near East at this day and time, child sacrifice was a, a really a big issue. Um, and in fact, you see in God's law later that there's, you know, obviously a strict prohibition against child sacrifice. It's against God's law. But like, you know, we're, we're early in the first inning of, of Israel at this point. You know, like God is just you know, a few decades ago, come to Abraham and made his covenant. So, like, the, the principles of God's law have not even, it'll be, you know, it'll be quite a while 
uh, before those are um, before that's you know that's there. Um, but one thing I will say, um, one thing as we're going to see here is God says stop, don't do it. So that's that's an important piece of the story. But I will say that in this day and time, um, there was kind of an understanding that you're, the first of everything belonged to the gods. That was kind of in the culture uh, an expectation and a norm. And so that the, his first child might be offered to God would not have been so totally bizarre um, to Abraham as it would be to us in this day and age. Um, so anyhow, there, there's, there's that. And so one other thing to notice here is anytime when you're looking at Hebrew narrative and you see a certain word repeated over and over again, that's, that is for a reason. That is for, uh, for um, emphasis. And so the term that is used over and over again, we can see here four times, is burnt offering. Burnt offering. And so, uh, you know, he could have said sacrifice or offering, whatever, but he, the, the author, Moses, deliberately says burnt offering. And so when you... Get, so when you get into like um, Leviticus, anybody here know um, know what the first offering is in, in Leviticus? Burnt offering. That's right. So Leviticus, which is about worship, worship in the temple, um, it, it lays out five different types of offerings, and they all have like a different function. You know, there's like a there's one offering that's for unintentional sins. Like there's an offering uh, that's to to for for thanks. There's an offering for forgiveness of sins. Um, and there's an, the, a burnt offering was an offering to communicate complete and total dedication to God. That was the function and the meaning of a burnt offering. And so with a burnt offering, uh, you have on your little sheet there, Leviticus 1.6 um, <laughs> says, You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, and aroma pleasing to the Lord. So some of the offerings that would give instructions of like, the priests are going to take home the meat of this, and you know, we're going to do this with these parts, but with a burnt, so they like some of their, some of the, the offering would just be like um, procured by the temple and, and used like for dinner <laughs> for, or, or for other purposes or whatever it may be. In a burnt offering, you just put the offering there and the whole thing is just burned. Uh, and so it shows complete dedication. And so I think that's a critical piece here. Uh, because it, it's speaking to total surrender. Uh, my child is totally surrendered to the purposes of God. Um, and so, you know, this is just an awful moment for Abraham. You know, he is, he is following through with this. So we have to ask the question, like, how is it he this surrendered? How is he this committed to the Lord? Um, and so we get some really good insight on that in, in Hebrews. And so, so anyhow, let's... Um, Let's keep on reading, and we'll go back to that Hebrews 11 passage. But in verse 8, it says, Andrew answered, God him. So, so think about, I mean, just think about how terrible this is. His, his son is like, hey, Dad, where's the lamb? You know? And Abraham is like, well, son, you're the lamb, you know? I mean, that is awful. I mean, this is horrific. Horrific, right? But look what he, how he replies. He says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Um, and so, you know, this, this again is pointing to Jesus. Like, we'll see that in a second when the lamb is provided. Um, but in Hebrews 11, uh, it's so cool. Like in the Old Testament, or sorry, in the New Testament, when there is, you know, divinely inspired commentary on things in the Old Testament. 
And so in Hebrews 11, um, there is insight, the author of Hebrew, and we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, um, gives insight into what, you know, what was going on here. He says, by faith, Abraham, when, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. So you can see here that Abraham just has an incredible amount of confidence in God's goodness. God's goodness, God's love for him, God's redeeming power. And, and you know, if you think about how you know, God had appeared to Abraham, uh, and you know, that was probably a pretty, pretty impactful moment, <laughs> you know, a theophany of God appearing to Abraham and speaking to him. Like he heard, literally heard the voice of God. So he had had that moment. He had seen God come through for him uh, when Isaac was miraculously born. And so he had these moments where the Lord had moved in his life that validated for him, hey, look, God is good. Like, I've seen him. I have heard him. I know him. And I have seen, I, so, so he had confidence in the character and the person of God. And he had confidence in God's work in his own life that he could, that he could look to. And so, um, and that, that the, the, the thing that enabled him was his confidence in the goodness, the, the goodness and the redemption of the Lord is what enabled him to take these steps and to surrender his children, his child in an unbelievable way. Um, and so for us, like, this is why, like, it's, it's so helpful and, and key to, like, to be in the Word. Because the, the being, reading the Bible is just, like, is seeing and hearing who God truly is. Um, seeing who God truly is. I, you'll hear me say this a lot, but I always say, you need to know that God is good. You need to know that he's totally in control. And you need to know that he loves you and that he's for you. His love, his goodness, his sovereignty. Those are the key things you need to be able to trust in the Lord. And so when we read about who the Lord is in Scripture, that validates, that validates for us. He is good. I can trust him. Like he's, and he's in control, and he's for me. Um, furthermore, we can see in Scripture stories like this, where like God has come through. God has come through. God has you know, delivered his people. He has healed. Um, he has brought redemption. And, and those stories are our story too. And then it's also helpful to go back and remember in our own lives where we have seen God do things. That is so helpful to go back and remember like, oh, I was in this place and God brought me forward. Like I had this need and the Lord provided. I had, you know, I was, I was, you know, in this deep place of darkness and God gave me hope. And so going back and remembering in this way, the character of God, the acts of God in redemptive history and the acts of God in our own life, those are the things that give us the fuel to, to, to believe and trust in the goodness, the love and the sovereignty of God, such that we can surrender our lives to, to the Lord. So we get to verse 9. It says, When they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Oh, terrible. How miserable is this? I mean, think about holding your kids down at the, at the pediatrician's office for vaccinations. <laughs> right? Those mean pediatricians like Patricia and Jill and uh, Ginger, they put those needles on. No, just kidding. Totally kidding. Um, no, uh, that's terrible, isn't it? That's like the worst, you know, holding them down. And, uh, but geez, this is a lot worse, right? Um, so anyhow, so 
Then it says, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I mean, he is really committed, folks, really committed. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Reemphasis of your only son, how precious. All right, so God comes in and says, no, we're not going to put Isaac on the altar. And it says in, in verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. And to this day, it is called on the mountain, the Lord, it will be provided. And so you can see here this provision of a substitute. This is like one of the key themes in all the Bible. It's one of the central things of the gospel is substitutionary atonement. Like we have sinned, you know, we deserve the judgment of God. And yet God has put his only son, Jesus, in our place as a substitute. And we are atoned through that sacrifice. The justice of God is satisfied so that the mercy of God can prevail. And so, um, and so, yeah, imagine the relief. Imagine the relief of, um, of, of Abraham in this moment that God has, has provided in this way. And so I think, you know, in terms of like having this confidence in the goodness of God to trust our kids, you know, we're, we were Isaac on the altar, like in our sin. And, and Jesus is the lamb over in the thicket. And like, imagine if you're Isaac and you know what's about to happen. And here comes the lamb and it's, you know, put, it's put in your place. Like that, that's our story. Like when we look at, uh, look at like Ephesians 2, it says we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And yet Jesus, you know, but God, uh, abounding in mercy, you know, made us alive together with Christ. And so when we think about what a desperate place we were in, that's the ultimate thing that assures us and that how Christ delivered us. That's the ultimate thing that gives us assurance. And so um, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from, from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, that I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And as the sands of the seashore, your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is just a, this is just a reiteration of the, um, this is a reiteration of the covenant and the promises that God has made in, in the covenant with Abraham. And so, um, and so with that being said, like, uh, and I'm going to get into more, some of the more practical applications of this in a second. But I think a, a big thing I would say here is it's a much more gratifying way, a much more peaceful way to raise your children with the mentality of like, I am raising this child for the glory of God. I'm raising this child, you know, for people to see the goodness and the grace of Jesus in the world. Uh, I'm raising this child, um, yeah, to be a person who exhibits the, 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 the love and the joy and the peace and the kindness and the goodness and the self-control and the patience and the faithfulness and the gentleness of God, of the Holy Spirit. Um, that, is just, that, is a, that is a more blessed way to go than I got a plan and I'm going to be the coach and I'm going to get my child from A to B. And so here's the thing. Here's the thing that is hard. Here's the thing that's hard, but here's the thing that's actually hopeful and gives us perseverance and long-suffering 
in this endeavor of surrendering our kids to God. Is like I can think of uh, like a family that I know, and their child is a really wonderful asset to the community. Their child is a um, drug and alcohol counselor for teenagers. And that child, um, that, I mean, he's a grown man. Uh, he helps a lot of people. Um, and he, he really does. Well, he was in my youth group when he was younger. And I mean, he had all kinds of trouble with, with uh, alcohol addiction. And uh, I mean, there were lots of very, very, very scary, dangerous moments in his story. And so here's the thing, like, um, what was, what is God's, what's, what's, you know, right now in this, in this kid's life, what is God's purpose for him in the world? It's like to help lots and lots of teenagers who are struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. Well, what was the path to get there? It was not the path that the parent would have chosen, right? It was not the path that the parent would choose that, uh, hey, my kid is going to, you know, for years and years struggle a ton with drug and alcohol addiction, and we're going to have, we're going to go to rehab, and we're going to be in the hospital, and all these kinds of things, and yet, like, the Lord, this, that's, this, that is the story, that's the picture that God was painting, um, and the child, obviously, I mean, it's not like God ordered or commanded the child to make these mistakes, but God used those dark seasons uh, to, 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 to form him into a person who's really honoring, glorifying the Lord in his life. And so, um, and so I say that because, like, not to freak everybody out, but just to know, like, um, uh, you know, when, you're, when, when you surrender your child to the Lord, you can kind of have this confidence that, like, the things that my child is going through and the struggles they're going to have, like, this is the, this is the, the bedrock and the material of the character they're going to have. Like, you're, the only way your child's going to have any character, compassion, wisdom— um, humility is to, to have bumps along the way, you know, to fail and to suffer and to struggle. And so, so with that being said, it really helps us to, I mean, look, we obviously, as in ways that we can control, want to protect our kids from, you know, harm. We want them to wear their seatbelts and stuff like that. We want to make sure they can't access pornography on their computer and things of that nature. And there's like, there's just only so much you can control. And so, um, and so with that being said, like when our kids are struggling and like they're having that season where they're getting left out or whatever it may be, struggling in school, like this is, this is all part of, the Lord's going to use all of that to instill in them character that enables them to, to love and empathize with other people in their lives, right? Uh, I mean, the fact, I think like one of the, so interesting, I, I had no ability to help people with um, with like depression and anxiety until I went through that when I was in my early 20s. I had, when I was in graduate school, I had a, a, a co, uh, like a student I was in there with, our fellowship with, and we drove to school together and he was having a terrible time with depression and anxiety and panic attacks. And I was just like, I, I mean, the advice I gave him was awful. Uh, but then like, you know, six months later, it happened to me. And now I've, I've had dozens of people that I can actually like empathize with and listen to in this area. So, um, so with that being said, let me say that I think uh, we have to be really aware of the cultural idols. Like a lot of times, like our vision for our kids is doctor, lawyer, investment banker. <laughs> they're going to go to this. They're going to go to college, which honestly it may not be in the Lord's plan for your child to go to college. It may not be in their best interest. Um, they are going to get married. They're going to have a lot of grandkids for me. 
um, they're going to live in a certain place. They're going to have a certain kind of house. They're going to make a certain amount of income. They're going to live their life in a certain cultural stratus or class stratus. And I mean, uh, we, it's, it's, I mean, we, it's really, um, it's, it's, you can really see a lot of our own idols when you start to think about what is, what is the picture for your child. In fact, a good exercise would be like, what is my picture for my child's life? What is it really going to, what is my, my biggest hope and dream? And I know for myself, I can remember, you know, my first child sitting there and like rocking him one night. He's like three or four months old. This is so absurd. And um, here I am, you know, Mr. Christian. And, um, and, and I was like, okay, you know, like, his mom is really smart, and I did well in school, so I'm sure he's going to be smart. And he's got he's he's big. He's got big feet, and his grandfather, you know, he's very long. And his grandfather played college football and college baseball. And I was an average athlete, but maybe the genes will skip a generation. And, and so so he's probably because of me not going to be a good enough athlete to you know go play like Division One. But what we can do is he can like be a good enough athlete that we can send him for a fifth year at a boarding school up in the Northeast. And he'll, and then he can get into an Ivy League school. And then he's going to be, you know, just do a few years in New York, do a few years in New York as an, you know, private equity, investment banking. And then he'll move back to Birmingham. And like, yo, this kid, this child is like barely nursing at this point. Like, he's not, not, you know, it is like, you know, and, and I have like written, I have written, you know, this story for my child, you know, rocking him in between Jesus loves you. And, uh, and it is all a reflection of like my cultural idols. And also too, it's like all these aspirations are, he's going to just do one notch above what I did, at least one, you know, he's going to surpass, he's going to surpass me, you know, academically, athletically, you know, financially, all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, that stuff is really deeply embedded. And I'll tell you where I've, where I've, and, and I don't mean to throw shade here but I'm going to throw a little shade. Um, I'll tell you where I've seen this, is when we've had kids from our church who go to college and they're really grown in their faith and they finish college and they say, I want to go into the mission field. Like, I want to go be a missionary, you know, over in China or something like that, or Africa. And the parents who are really faithful lose their mind. Lose their mind. They're like, no way, Jose, you know? <laughs> I, I, I cannot say that I've had a student, it's really bad, that has expressed an interest in going into like ministry, vocational ministry, where the parents have not lost their mind and been like, uh-uh, uh-uh, like, you are not going to be poor. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's like, whoa, 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 dog, like, we were all jiving with Jesus all these years, and now Johnny wants to be a priest, and all of a sudden, you know? It's like, I'm not, I mean, I'm not starving. Um, anyhow, but, you know, it is, uh, you know, I'm being, I'm being silly and all. And that, that is, like, that is a good test for us to think about, like, hey, like, God, God's plan for my child's life, his story for my child's life, it surpasses and exceeds my plan. And, um, and to, like, really open that up, like, uh, your child's story might be really hard as an adolescent or college student or in the early 20s. And, or shoot, I mean, my, my brother was a pass-out drunk alcoholic, you know, every day for 25 years and didn't get sober until his late, until his mid-40s. And now he's like in AA, clean and sober for five years, 
It's like sponsors all these people, has a huge ministry in his life. He's a believer now, has a huge ministry in his life and, you know, through AA. And, um, and hey, that was a long, that was a long ride for my parents. My parents thought that they would outlive my brother because of his drinking. And so we have to, so with that being said, like, it requires a lot of patience. Um, it requires a lot of confidence in the goodness of the Lord, which, you know, goes back to remembering who he is and what he's done. Um, and there is, there is just a lot of freedom. There's a lot of freedom, and I think it allows us to accept our children as they are and not as we think they should be, you know? And because um, a, a lot of times when we feel this friction with our kids and the things they want to do and the way they are, sometimes that's it's because it's conflicting with our picture for what we predetermine we think they should be. But, like, God's picture might be a little bit different, might be a lot of bit different. And so, um, and so all that to say, I just think, and I think it's really gratifying. I think it's, um, yeah, it's really gratifying to see, like, what might the Lord do with your child? How might the Lord use this child um, to love and serve the people around them and to honor and glorify the Lord? Um, and so that is the, um, yeah, that's the promise of surrendering your child to the Lord in the way that Isaac did to Abraham. But the bedrock of that is knowing the goodness of who he is. Impossible unless we know the goodness of God and unless we surrender our lives to the Lord day by day with the primary thing in our lives being that he be glorified. So I will pray with one minute to go. And then if anyone has a question, I'll answer. Um, Jesus, we, th- we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you're our sacrifice and we thank you that you've delivered us to yourself and that we live in your light. And I pray, um, pray for our kids. Lord, we trust you to write a story in their life to use them for, um, use them for your glory use them to love and serve uh, the people around them. And God, give us supernatural faith uh, that is grounded in the knowledge of who you are and what you've done to really um, surrender. I pray to you, Holy Spirit, that you would mine our hearts. Um, Help us um, to see where it may be, God, that our sin or our idols or our false expectations are um, tied up in in the, the way we parent our kids and the way we're leading them and maybe the ways that we get frustrated with them and show us where we need to repent from that and, um, yeah, and surrender. So we trust you, Lord. I ask you for Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Anybody? Uh, yeah, Shashi Bug. What do you make in verse 12 of mm-hmm. this? Like, it's a crazy story, obviously, with God yeah. saying, now I know that you hear God. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, I think God, like, like you said, according to his omniscience, I mean, I think that he, he already knows. And I think it's just maybe a lot of this is more for Abraham to know. Um, I should look up, well, I don't know what the Hebrew word for know is there. It may, be, it may be more like I know, like I see, like I've seen evidenced, than it is necessarily that I like intellectually know, because obviously he knows everything past, present, and future. That's a really, that's a really good question. Yes? Yeah, man. What is that? Is that maybe that that's because it does it matter the immediate reaction or yeah, it's more of a long term, you know, surrender to the Lord. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, you got to think there was probably a few sessions of counseling between Isaac and Abraham. You know, like I don't know. We don't know. We don't know how old Isaac was. You know, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it says in the text that he was. You know. 
uh, teenager or whatever. I can imagine a teenager like, hey, Dad, what the age, man, you know? And then, and then in counseling, you know, when he was like 25, he was like, and then my dad, my mother, and then my mother, I can't trust men, and, you know. Um, <laughs> so, no, I, yeah, I don't know. I, that's, a, that's really a great question. And I mean, in some ways, perhaps he like saw how committed his, guy, his dad was. But in other ways, he, and he may have been kind of little. To where he didn't have enough of a framework to know, like, What's hmm, Dad's holding a knife over me. It's <laughs> a great question. John Chris should do a YouTube on this uh, if he hasn't already. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, he, 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 was, he was obedient. And you know, he came to that place of faith through a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of mistakes and a lot of suffering. So, um, you know, he's like around 100 years old at this point. So a lot of trail on the tires. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe when we were 100. Yes, Megan. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. That's a yeah, that's such a that's a really helpful word and just in that um I just feel like uh seventy five, eighty percent of like good healthy parenting is like doing our own internal work, preparing our own hearts and uh yeah and our own insecurities and all that kind of stuff, and, and continually, like, bringing that before the Lord and repenting and asking the Holy Spirit to, like, purify and refine our hearts. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yes, sir. Um, Steve. Maybe, maybe it's a silly question, but, but how, uh, how did anybody know that it was actually God who was speaking to him as opposed to Satan doing scam or something like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's a great question. I, I think some of it would just be um, in the same way that, like, your best friend or your spouse or your mom or dad, like, you know know their voice without seeing them just because of long-term relationship. I think that Abraham probably clearly had such a communion with God that he knew his voice. It talks in, in, in John, John chapter 10, but also in 1 John, it talks quite a bit about discerning, discerning the voices, discerning the spirits. And, um, and I think the, the best way to be able to discern the spirit is, you know, Jesus says, the sheep, the sheep, sheep hear my words and call my own sheep by name, the sheep obey my words, so they know my voice. I know my sheep, uh, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me, I give them life, they shall never perish, no one shall ever snatch them from my hand. I think a lot of it is just through cultivating personal relationship with God. Um, you you start, to, um, start to kind of know the voice. Now one thing for us, 
is we have God's word, and we know that God is not going to say to us, go, put, go take your child out to the backyard and sacrifice them you know, uh, on the, in, in the fire pit. Uh, and um, because God's word says, like, child sacrifice is forbidden. So God will never command us to do something that's contrary to his word, to his character. Um, but for him, I think it's probably just through that personal relationship. Thanks for asking. It's a really good question. Um, probably need to bounce. But um, thanks. Great class. Pre- appreciate it. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.